0: Welcome to RoyalOaks.com. I'm Royal Oaks. Okay, I don't know about you, but I am ready for the last, the very last conversation we are ever going to need to have about whether radical Islam is behind terrorist attacks and whether Islam is a nation of peace and whether the president is a secret Muslim, all of that stuff. It just seems like we're on this pointless, endless merry-go-round. You know, a ride that goes nowhere. You keep riding it anyway. So let's take a crack at the last conversation on this issue. See if we can somehow, some way, reach a consensus. My bottom line is you know what? Call them anything you want. Just catch the bastards. Okay, here's the deal. The people who are committing terrorist attacks in the U.S. and around the world, in virtually every case, from 9 11, to the Boston bombers, to the San Bernardino shooters, to the Philadelphia wacko who shot an officer while the cop was sitting in his car. If you think about these terrorist attacks, and by the way, let's not forget the Fort Hood shooter. The colonel was the guy who had his business card with the Al-Qaeda logo on his U.S. military business card. Incredible. Anyway, roll them all together, and what do you have as a common denominator? What's the one thing that's behind all of them? It's radical Islam, okay? It's the two words some politicians can't bring themselves to utter. So we know this. We absolutely know for a fact that radical Islam is what's caused all this terror. But we have leaders who are infuriating a good percentage of the population, not just the Sean Hannity's of the world, but a good chunk of the population by their refusal to utter the words or even acknowledge that there's any religious component to the terror. So automatically, you have a polarized society with the progressive politicians doing and saying things that appear to make no sense whatsoever because they fly in the face of the obvious facts that everybody else knows, but you can't talk them out of it. Now, if there was ever any real legitimate doubt about what's behind the terror attacks, the issue has to have been resolved by that Philadelphia attack. Police officer Jesse Hartnett is sitting in his patrol car. And as the surveillance video chillingly records, up comes 30-year-old Edward Archer. He's wearing his flowing white robe favored by Muslim men. He runs toward the patrol car, shooting, and then sticking his hand, filled with a pistol, into the car window, squeezing off a few more shots, then running away. The video shows the police officer lurching out of his car, his left arm useless to give chase. His left arm was useless because Mr. Archer emptied 13, count them, 13 shots into the police officer, and amazingly, the cop not only survived, but he was able to stagger out of his patrol car and chase after Archer. Now, the mayor of Philadelphia, his honor Jim Kenney, then mounts the podium to declare to the world, in no way, shape, or form does anybody in this room believe that Islam or the teaching of Islam had anything to do with the attack. This was a criminal with a stolen gun. The only problem for the mayor is that moments later, Philadelphia's police commissioner, Richard Ross Jr., decided to confuse everybody with the facts. He announced that the suspect, after his capture, said he believes the police defend laws that are contrary to Islam. He said the man wanted to talk only about his devotion to Islam, Captain James Clark of the Philadelphia Police Department reported that Mr. Archer repeatedly said he followed a law, that he pledged allegiance to Islamic State, and that is the reason I did what I did. Then there's the issue of refugees. FBI Director James Comey says there's no way we can vet incoming refugees and be sure they're not loyal to ISIS. And yet a lot of politicians turn a blind eye to the dangers posed by the tsunami of refugees streaming out of the Syrian conflict and other Mid-East war zones. Germany is still in shock over the coordinated assaults that took place on New Year's Eve, when bands of young men surrounded and sexually molested and robbed women on the streets of Cologne. The police chief of Cologne got into a little trouble for concealing that the assailants were Middle Eastern males. The mayor of Cologne, Henriette Recker, got herself into hot water when she told women that, you know, if they wanted to protect themselves, it was certainly possible to keep strange men at arm's length. She didn't explain how exactly a woman was supposed to defend herself when, as was the preference of the offenders, a woman was tightly encircled by men, grabbing at her private parts while others stole her handbag. That was their M.O., Mayer announced that it was absolutely impermissible to suggest that the perpetrators could have been part of the recent refugee flood into Germany. But within days, investigators reported that most of the 33 suspects rounded up were asylum seekers. But since we're having a conversation here, let's talk about the other side of the coin. The president has a strategy. He probably knows, he sounds kind of stupid to a lot of smart people, but he's willing to put up with the risk because he has a plan. He says to himself, I know, I got a lot of crap for running around the world apologizing to everybody for all the stuff America has pulled for the last 60 years. But you know what? We've done a lot of bad stuff. From Vietnam to regime change back in Iran propping up the Shah and other countries to making up that stuff about weapons of mass destruction and taking out Hussein in Iraq. We've done a lot of bad stuff. So doggone it, I'm here to tell the truth. Shake things up. So I've got no reason to apologize for the apology tour. That's the president's attitude. And then he goes on in his thought process and he says, The reason I'm apologizing is not just because it's the right thing to do. It's because, doggone it, I'm a salesman. I'm a persuader. I'm the persuader in chief. And part of my audience is not only the domestic audience, but an international audience as well. And part of that audience is about 1.6 billion people who follow the faith of Islam. And the president's strategy is, if we can just, by our words and deeds here in America, somehow convey the notion to Muslims around the world that we don't hate them, that we don't think theirs is a violent religion, but instead we're convinced it's a religion of peace, that it's only a tiny fraction of outlaws who are willing to pervert the principles of Islam to somehow justify murder and mayhem, if we can just get some traction, then on a long-term basis, things are going to work out. We can have a meaningful conversation. As Lyndon Johnson said, come, let us reason together. So that's the president's strategy, and he's sticking with it. And the two sides are never going to agree. Now, how can we make this the last conversation on this topic? Well, here's how. Let's acknowledge that both sides are right, that in fact radical Islam is responsible for virtually all the terror activity in the last decade, Plus, whether the president wants to uh, utter the words or not, that's simply the reality about terror in the world in 2016. Let's also acknowledge that we don't want to come across to the Muslim world as if we hate them and want them dead. So, how do you accomplish both goals and end this merry-go-round? I think it's pretty simple. You have your PR campaign. You can love-bomb the Muslim world with the message, We don't hate you. And at the same time, you do what you have to do behind the scenes. I'm fine with President Obama continuing his PR campaign, trying to convince the Muslim world that we don't think Islam is a religion of violence. But what we need to do is make sure we are deterring and preventing and investigating terror. Now, our experience in New York gives us some terrific guidance as to how to beef up our fight against terrorism. Here's the deal. Several years ago, New York law enforcement authorities, NYPD, and others, representatives of the mayor's office, prosecutors, they came up with an idea. They realized that people who are likely to commit acts of terrorism in the New York City area are very likely to follow a pattern. They will be disaffected from overseas. They'll be generally Middle Eastern, young males who have been radicalized. It's very possible, even likely, that when they get to the New York area, they're going to make some connections before they actually commit their acts of mayhem. They'll go to certain places looking for a job. They'll go to certain places looking for housing. They'll go to certain places to get money. And so this program in New York City focused its investigation on people and places, stores, organizations, internet cafes, where, according to law enforcement information, it was more likely that terrorists might be there, young male, Middle Eastern, disaffected, radicalized Islamists. They might visit, they might congregate and communicate. And guess what? The program paid off. They got leads, they got suspects, they got convictions, and according to experts who studied it, over a dozen terrorist attacks were prevented. But at some point, the American Civil Liberties Union got wind of this, and they got all bent out of shape about the New York City Police Department's Muslim Intelligence Program. The ACLU assumed that the cops are made up of a bunch of bigots who hated Muslims, so they filed a lawsuit, and of course the city wimped out. They cut a deal to curtail the program. But then, after 9-11, in 2003... A judge had the good sense to modify the guidelines to give the police more investigative freedom to meet the threat from Islamic terrorism. And so, as part of the deal, the program was revived. But then the lawsuits kept coming, and the status of the program is still in legal limbo there in the Big Apple. Just terrific. Picture the Sarnayev brothers, the Boston bombers. If they had escaped and succeeded in their plan to make New York their next target... This program is exactly the kind of thing that might have led to their capture. And the attitude of the New York Police Department needs to be extended to the general public. Think for a minute about the San Bernardino attackers. One of the most chilling aspects of that story, aside, of course, from the mayhem, a cold, calculated execution of innocent people, and not just innocent people, but co-workers of Farouk. One of the most chilling aspects was the report that Farouk's neighbors had a feeling there was something wrong. Young, Middle Eastern men coming and going all hours of the night, packages. But they didn't say anything because they didn't want to be accused of being racists. They didn't want to be seen as profiling. So in other words, they were suffering from the political correctness virus. It's like more cowbell favored by Christopher Walken. He's got a fever and the only cure is more cowbell. Okay, well, we've got a fever in this country. It's called advanced political correctness, and the only cure is common sense. The only cure is some truth-telling and some guts and the willingness to drop a dime and pick up the phone, because if you see something, you better say something. Because if you don't, somebody may die. We don't have to have this conversation anymore about radical Islam existing or not. President Obama and Hillary Clinton don't ever have to utter the words radical Islam. They can talk all they want about Islam being a religion of peace. Just don't get in the way of the people, the law enforcement officers, when they want to do their job as citizens or first responders or investigators to try to prevent tragedy. It's not going to be easy when it comes to gathering intelligence. You saw what happened in New York, the political correctness virus struck. Oh, we can't target people of faith. We don't want to interfere with their First Amendment right to privacy. Of course, aliens who come to, uh, target cities illegally aren't citizens so they don't actually have these constitutional rights and it's not like we walk up to them on the street and shoot them in the head like the philadelphia maniac tried to do with it to the cop we just want to put together some data points that might help us get a head start on preventing or solving crimes but oh no no that was too extreme you know the the metadata debate is a perfect example of how our obsession with political correctness has interfered with the government's anti-terror efforts. Metadata, as virtually nobody knew several years ago but nearly everybody now knows, is not the content of your conversation. To gather metadata is not to listen in on a call or read a text or an email. Instead, it consists of phone numbers, and email addresses, and the times and the lengths of electronic communications. And that kind of data can be a goldmine when it comes to connecting the dots and catching terrorists. If you have a cell consisting of a half a dozen terrorists in St. Louis, and they've fired up two dozen cell phones and ten laptops, and they're communicating with some people in Europe and the Middle East who are known terrorists, and you've got some darn good leads as a result of that based on the metadata. But can we freely gather that information? No. The surveillance programs have been eviscerated. The folks who claim we've already won the war against terror say it's not necessary to venture beyond our privacy comfort zone. The gathering of metadata just isn't who we are. Well, there's an old saying, for want of a nail, the kingdom was lost. You know, in between the missing nail and the horseshoe, and you lose the horse, you lose the man, you lose the battle, you lose the war. Well, For one of a megabyte or two of data, the borough of Queens may be lost to a dirty bomb. For people who say, oh my God, we're better than that, we can't throw privacy rights in the trash, the answer is we are at war. Lives are at stake, lives have been lost, more lives will be lost, and when you're at war, whether it's against the criminals just across the county line, or the enemies just across the international border, you take reasonable, rational steps to win the war and to save lives. Critics see the metadata issue, and they ignore one reality. If the rate of terrorist attacks continues to increase, if there's one more 9-11, if there's an attack involving nuclear material, you might as well kiss goodbye and open society as we know it. 99% of Americans are going to march on Congress with torches, saying, Here's a blank check. Whatever needs to be done, privacy is a non-issue. Just shut this down. We need to use every legitimate weapon at our disposal now to make sure we never get to that point. There are tens of millions of people around the world who are dedicated, through organized means, or lone wolf means, or some combination, to killing Americans. We're at war, and we need to take steps to win the war. And if people are infected with a virus of political correctness, then maybe we need more cowbell. Well, we've got no choice on this entry. Number 40 on our list of the top 50 songs of all time. Blue Oyster Cult's 1976 hit that lived on courtesy of SNL's More Cowbell Skit. Here's a Will Ferrell version of Don't Fear the Reaper. fever and the only prescription is more cowbell